You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan, on West Limerick 102 FM. It's the start of July and we're here for the next hour to cover a number of interesting food items, including what you can expect to be served up if you're lucky enough to bag an invitation to a 4th of July party this weekend. We'll be hearing some interviews I did at the recent Taste of Dublin, including one with the well-known Cloda McKenna and another one with an amazing young lady, Usult Ward, who believes no good food should go to waste where people are going hungry and she is doing something incredible about this. If an aeroplane is your preferred mode of transport when it comes to getting away from it all, we'll have Erlingus on the phone to talk about what culinary delights they're serving up on board this summer. Geraldine is out and about as usual in her beloved Kerry and this week she's reporting from Ireland's first official town, i.e. Dingle. And Helen McDaid from Fulcher Ireland will return to highlight what events are taking place throughout Ireland during the month of July. But before all of that, let me tell you how to get in touch with the programme. Drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, short for organisation. I love getting your feedback and comments as well as your reviews, recipes and news, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Now, this Friday sees the 4th of July, which is a huge day of celebration in the US because it's Independence Day. So I asked my good friend Vicky Nash to come into the studio to tell me what it all means to her. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Vicky, you're Irish, German, American. How would you best describe yourself? I think I'd best describe myself as Pittsburgh. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, which means American, um, because I feel that while I'm American, there's there's such diversity in America that where you come from in America, I think, really impacts on you an awful lot. And um, I think people in Pittsburgh are... Um, they're very natural people and very friendly people and um i mean they have a you know they were it was a steel town and so it was an industrial place and um people were down to earth as a result and family meant a lot to to people in pittsburgh um i would i would consider um people in in Pittsburgh very different to you know the real east coast like New York and the west coast uh, it's more like middle America very different to what you see on television I think sometimes when you watch the seri- the comedy programs and whatever on uh, on American television I think you can get a very um, skewed view of, of what middle America is like and growing up in Pittsburgh, then the Fourth of July mm. celebrations, what would that have entailed? Well, as children, um, I don't have a great memory of, of my very early childhood, but uh, from from about eight onwards, uh, I certainly remember very well. And it was a cross between getting into trouble and having fun. <laughs> Because you'd have the various um, the, the 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 type of things that people have at Halloween here, you know, the the the, the, the 
fireworks and guns and caps and various things you know that would um, could 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 get you into a lot of trouble if you uh, threw them in the wrong direction or whatever uh, so it was it was good fun I think uh, kids would gather together very early in the day and they would have gathered together a certain amount of of um, things that they could use um, to to create noise and mayhem and um, that would start fairly early in the morning and um, as I say you would try to have fun but and, and to avoid getting into too much trouble uh, because some of the things were dangerous any more than here um, but you would play it's a long time ago now you'd play out in the street which of course doesn't happen anywhere now and um, so you would you you would basically because there's no religious connotation to it there wasn't anything like going to church or what, or anything like that um, and then in the early afternoon there'd be a parade and we lived fairly close to uh, a major thoroughfare in the city of Pittsburgh and the parade would come nearby us so you would go and watch that and in the parade there would be um, a mixture of things like the the firemen, the policemen, uh, servicemen. I mean, in any American parade, there's always uh, that's one of the things that strikes me um, that they that that members of the armed services uh, take a very active role in any parade in America, and so you'd be conscious of that. And the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and whatever. So early afternoon would be the the parade. You might go swimming, depending upon how close there was a swimming pool. I mean, we we had a swimming pool near us. We certainly didn't have one in our backyard, nor did any of our neighbors. Well, we did have a public swimming pool near us. So we'd go to the swimming pool for a short while. And then we would gather. Um, I, as a f my family, um, my mother was one of 10 children. She was the eldest. And um, my father uh, had no brothers or sisters. So uh, we would gather at my, my um, at some member of, of the O'Leary, that was my mother's maiden name, uh, family's house for our picnic. And uh, as you can imagine, because she was one of ten, there were an awful lot of people involved. So when you said it was a picnic, does that mean that everybody brought food, brought their own picnic? It wasn't everybody going inside to sit down to the, the meat and two veg? No, oh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was the, it was everybody brought food, but it tended to be the, that one person would bring the potato salad and another person would bring the deviled eggs and another person would bring um, uh, coleslaw, whatever. And um, and the, the the food the meat then if you like which was very often when I was growing up would have been fried chicken. Um, as as time went on, the the grills became more important. But um, uh, so everybody would be making some contribution to to, to the food, and. Um, Whoever, whosoever's house it was in tended to do the, the meat end of things and chicken certainly was the major thing but you'd also have cold ham and, and um, um, 
fish wouldn't feature at all really it may in, in, in certain parts of the country but certainly not where we were f too far inland I think to have um, fish to be part of, um, of, of a picnic and um, uh, dessert would take the form of one of the big things would be peach cobbler which is a bit like peach crumble it can have either a crumble topping on it or more something more like a scone type of dough uh, and, and as I say watermelon um, as to beverages lemonade and that's not as in Nash's lemonade that's as in American lemonade made with lemons and um, um, one of the things I remember very clearly uh, was root beer, which many of the listeners might have no idea what root beer is. Uh, root beer is a carbonated beverage made from the roots of sassafras. And my father used to make it. And he would make it well in it ahead of time and store it in the... You had to let it um, sit for a while and very often it would explode by, <laughs> by the time we were getting ready to drink it. So we always had good fun with that. Um, and so I, that's one of my, my big memories of, of beverages as, as a child. And of course, iced tea. And the older the adults would, would have their bit of beer and whatever. Um, so the, the the picnic would go on for a good while. Uh, there wouldn't be music as such at it. Uh, it would just be sitting and talking. Well, Vicky, thanks for coming in to share all of that with us. And we wish you a very happy 4th of July. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Sounds like anyone who has links to the US is in for a huge treat this weekend. And a few weeks ago, I had a great treat whenever I went to Taste of Dublin for the day. I met a number of very interesting people over the course of the time I was there and we'll be airing the interviews over the coming weeks. We're going to share two with you tonight, one with the well-known Clodagh McKenna and another with the very inspirational Isolt Ward. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Cloda, I'm going to start off asking you about your recent visit to Limerick during Riverfest. What did you think of the city? Oh, oh I love Limerick. Um, my um, my parents' um, home is in Ballybunion, so I pass through Limerick every week, actually, um, driving from Dublin down. Um, I, it, was a great, it was a really good, fun festival. Um, I love Sage Cafe um, in Limerick, as well as La Cucina is gorgeous. Um, the Italian foodie is a great blog that promotes lots in Limerick. Um, so yeah, I love going down to Limerick. It's a really fun place to be. And you were doing, doing bits and pieces there. You're here in Taste of Dublin doing cookery demonstrations, plus you have a restaurant, a pop-up restaurant here. How do you keep all those balls in the air? Um, I don't know. I guess kind of just being organised and, um, and and working with good people. That's the kind of key, isn't it? Um, so I've got a, very girl, a great girl managing here. I've got some good chefs here. And, um, and yeah, I bring people in and I, I spend a lot of time with them. Um, so they like to know, they know exactly how I like things done and um, and being organised and I, also I love what I do so that kind of helps a lot as well. Out so, of all the business ventures that you have, which one is your favourite? Um, definitely the restaurant, yeah. On a service, in a busy service at lunchtime or at night time. Um, this is Clodagh's Kitchen in Black Rock. Yes, yeah, or the one in Arnott's, I have a small one in Arnott's on the second upper floor. 
Um, yeah, and being busy inside in there, I just love it. I love there. I, I feel very calm and and I just love being behind the, the stove. Well, I was actually in Black Rock there a few months ago, oh, and we did. It? Yes, it was lovely, and we did a review. Oh like, wow! My friend that was with me reviewed it. On what was the, the review re- like? It was all very positive. Oh good! Oh, I must great. have a look at that review. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a book out as well, Clued's Kitchen Diaries. What is in it? What sort of I, things I are in it? I have two books actually. The newer one is Homemade, which is a newly revised um, book that I brought out a few years ago, and we've just newly revised it. And then there's Clued's Kitchen Diaries. Um, so they're both kind of all my, I guess, the best of my recipes really over the past seven years of living in Italy and coming back here and the restaurants, the bakery and everything. So there's lots of gorgeous recipes in there. Now, anybody out there that's maybe thinking about going into the hospitality industry and opening up a business yeah. in the current economic environment, what advice would you give to them? Um, advice, go into it if you really love the industry, um, as in you love cooking or you love front of house or you love serving if you don't have any experience in it get experience first before you do it I had a lot of experience working in restaurants before I, I opened up my own and that really really helped um, and yeah and be very organised do all your research as much as you can know what kind of food you want to offer know what kind of atmosphere you want to have there know the look of your restaurant the feel of your restaurant and always remember the most important thing is to know your customer um, and, and that's kind of one of the biggest lessons I've learned is really understanding and knowing my customer what they like um, I have a big female audience and a big female customer um, and so my, my restaurant is you know it's very much me you know um, you come to my house and it looks the exact same and so um, I know what I like and I know how my restaurant likes I know like I know I like the food I know my customer likes in my restaurant and so that's really really important so so you talk about home there. What sort of things do you cook at home? Do you cook at home? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. A lot. A lot. All the time. Every night. Well, not every night. If not in the kitchen, if not in the restaurant, I'll be cooking at home. I love cooking at home. It's probably my... Outside the restaurant, that would be my favourite place to cook. Yeah. And would you do the same sort of dishes? I pretty much would, yeah. I mean, I write the menu quite selfishly. Well, it's kind of two things. I write it on things I'm really excited about and love because then I know my front of house will be able to get that over. I eat, eat seasonally, I cook seasonally, and so the kind of food I like, I have in the restaurants. And that's the kind of like food I like to eat at home as well. It's all the same. Like and using Irish ingredients. And using Irish local ingredients. It's so important that your ingredients are really good, really fresh, and you keep them really, really well. Um, and to build up relationships with producers is so important. You get really good. They get to know you. They get to respect you. They know how much you love their produce, and that you'll cook well with it. Yeah. And do you grow anything at home yourself? You know, just herbs and and lettuce leaves and things like that. But no, not on a not on a large scale. And for the future, then going forward, Cluda has so much going on. What's in the pipeline for you at the moment? Uh, I don't know. I, I, um, I don't know. Um, I'd say it's probably. My next big project will be uh, making a television series. I haven't made one in about four years, and I need to. Um, so do you enjoy that? To, I do. It's really fun. Fresh from the Sea that I made was just amazing to make. It was two months of fishing, talking to fishermen, um, learning so much about food um, and seafood in Ireland. And, and they're the kind of shows that I like to make for, for meeting new people and interviewing people. I love that. So, um, 
So yeah, if I can find two months this year, um, I'll make it. I'd say when you do that, it's very intense, it's very long days, and it's, you know, yeah. very fast and furious. Yeah, it is. It's really, you're up at five or six in the morning, and you finish at night about one, and, you know, you work straight for two weeks, you might get a two-day break, it's, and you're back on the road again, and different hotel every night, and it's, and I'm very curious about hair and makeup and clothes yeah, and the I do it styling. Myself. Because, do you know, like that's added pressure. It, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was somebody there handing you the outfits oh, yeah, and everything that you didn't have great. to think about it? But I'd say you put, invest a lot of time into making sure you have all well, the right. I do. I, I like clothes, you know, so I I, I kind of get organised before I do the shoot and I kind of try to organise my wardrobe. Whereas makeup stuff, I'm used to not wearing that much makeup because in the the restaurant it's hard to make wear makeup that much right anyhow so I before I film I usually just try to get my skin in really good condition um, so that then I'm not worried you know too much about it see so much to think about uh, in addition to what's on the, the plate uh, yeah. for the finished product <laughs> now before we go I have a quick fire round of questions okay. to ask you you just say which one is your preference wine or water uh, wine meat or fish fish salt or pepper salt butter or margarine butter reservation or walk-in walk-in chocolate fondue or chocolate mousse oh chocolate fondue hands down breakfast or dinner breakfast saturday kitchen or great british menu great british menu chips or potatoes potatoes Clodagh, thanks so much Thank for talking you. to me Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. So Food Cloud is a not-for-profit organisation that connects businesses that have too much food with charities have to, that have too little through a smartphone app and a website. So if you're working in a food business, you can use our app to quickly upload details of whatever food you've left at the end of the day, and then it sends out a notification to the charities in your community so that they can then collect the food during the time that you're available. Did you develop this app yourself? No, so we actually outsourced the development of the app to a company, Igodema. But um, myself and even uh, other co-founder of Food Cloud started working on this about two years ago when we were still in university. And we did a lot of research to see what was happening internationally around surplus food because there was very little happening in Ireland in comparison to the EU and the US and the UK. So we saw that there were other organisations in America using an app and decided that this would probably be the best solution for Ireland. Is this your full-time job now? This is what you're doing for a living, to make money for yourself? Yeah, so since we launched last October, we've two of us have been working on it full-time and we were recently able to take on another staff member, so it's been going well so far. And how did, I'm sure the charities were very receptive to it, like what restaurants did you get on board? What was their response when you first approached So them? it's actually retailers that we work with mostly because um, last summer before we launched, we did a lot of research with charities. And because charities weren't used to receiving food donations we decided to target uh, surplus foods that would be similar to the food that they were used to purchasing so that's when we decided to approach retailers and actually Tesco was the first retailer to come on board so we launched with just one Tesco store last October and now we're working with 18 and we're working with Super Value as well and Fresh the Good Food Market and Starbucks and since October we've actually redistributed 23 tonnes of food so that's the equivalent of 50,000 meals to our network of 45 charities between Dublin and Drogheda. 
So Dublin to Drogheda is the area that you cover at the moment and do you have plans to extend that? Yeah, so we have very ambitious plans. We're um, hoping to be in every county in Ireland by November. Wow. Yeah, so we're looking for charities as well um, across Ireland to come forward if they're interested in receiving food donations where hopefully we'll be in their community over the next few months. So if they're interested, they can go onto our website, foodcloud.ie, and get in touch and let us know. And are there any issues in terms of the food? What types of food is it? And is it food that is they can't sell it anymore because it's gone by its sell-by date, but it's still okay to eat? But yeah, explain so, that to me. Food that is donated is often um, fresh food, so fruit and vegetables and bakery products. And um, how our model allows this to happen is that the food goes straight from the food business to the charity, so it doesn't have to sit in a distribution centre for very long. So that's how we can work with perishable food. But often, say, the food would be at its best before date, but um, the best before date is a quality control date. It's not legally binding and it's nothing to do with food safety. So food can be re- um, consumed after its best before date. So that's why we mostly work with uh, fruit and vegetables and bakery products. But the use by date, that can't, you can't use it? If so you- use by date, no, it has to be consumed that night before midnight, or it can be frozen and used at a later date. And you said there that the retailers themselves actually put this into their vans and take it to wherever it has to go. They actually do the list distribution. It's actually the charities that come and collect it. Okay. So it depends um, in... Uh, in a lot of situations the charity gets a notification and they'd have a volunteer ready to go and collect the food and you can have anywhere between three crates of food to 15-20 crates of food so it helps that we have a variety of organisations on that are different sizes so that they kind of match the different quantities of food that are available ideally. <laughs> the charities must think that you are their knight in shining armour for doing this. Um, well there has been a lot of charities that have benefited from it and um, there's still a lot of uh, work to be done um, in terms of the charities aren't used to accepting food donations so we try and work with them as closely as we can to help them get used to getting donated food and you know, there is a lot of change and effort there for the charity too so we don't charge charities but it's because we recognise that there is a bit of work involved for them as well. Well we commend you in your efforts and we wish you continued success of it. Fair play to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. So that was Clodagh McKenna and Usult Ward at Taste of Dublin and we've interviews with Monica Galetti, Stuart O'Keefe and a few more to share with you over the coming weeks. Still to come tonight, we'll be calling Aer Lingus to talk about what they're serving on board this summer. In fact, they have teamed up with Clodagh McKenna so you can be sure the menu is top class. And Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland has all the info you need to plan your food trips for the month of July. Next up, though, is Geraldine O'Sullivan, who is reporting from Ireland's first foodie town, Dingle. Now, Geraldine O'Sullivan brings you some tasty treats from the kingdom. I'm in Dingle at the Global Village Restaurant and the Global Village Restaurant recently won the best emerging Irish cuisine at the Restaurant Association of Ireland Awards and I'm joined now by Martin Beelan. Welcome Martin. Hi, thanks very much. You're welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about the entry process and the selection process for the Restaurant Association Awards? 
I can indeed. Um, you know, for the best restaurant in the county awards, it's a, it's an online um, or, or uh, through the Life magazine. You can your customers will re- recommend you, and then you'll get go through a judging process. Uh, however, for the one we uh, won, the award we won was an industry award, so it's, you're recommended by your peers. And when were you notified you were in that category? We would have got notification about maybe a week to ten days before the actual awards that we were in the in for the national awards. So okay, so it was exciting. quite exciting. Very exciting indeed, yeah, yeah. Because we had, we realized we, had, we knew at that stage we hadn't won best in Kerry, which we had won in two thousand and thirteen. So we'd realised we didn't get that, but we said we were a bit disappointed. But that's life. And then when we got the national uh, nominated for the national one, we were very excited indeed. Yeah. Great. And what does emerging Irish cuisine mean? Well, emerging Irish cuisine is is a sort of a new cuisine in Ireland, which is um, focused completely on using Irish foods, um, maintaining some of the traditional things we all we would always would have used, but also putting a modern twist on the food. So perhaps uh, you know if you heard the term new Nordic cuisine or something like that. So it's it's um, a new approach to the way we look at our food. And it's not necessarily based in French or Italian or, you know, the traditional ways we were trained. Um, of course, some of the, a lot of the skills are still using that way because we're trained through, through in French style in the colleges. But we're moving much more away now to use uh, our own products, our own ideas, and step forward away now and just emerge as our own new cuisine. Very good. And tell us a little bit about your menu here that you have in the restaurant in Dingle, a few dishes from it. Um, what we do here is we try to use as much local produce as possible, as I said, uh, from the Dingle Peninsula, and then wider to Kerry Munster. Um, so, for instance, we'll take a crab, a brown crab dish, and we'll we'll um, we'll make a nice soup from the shell. We'll make a a brown pate pate from the brown meat. We'll make a salad from the white meat. We might mix that with a little crab apple. Um, then we'll take a, a, a seaweed crisp or seaweed cracker with that. Um, the seaweed comes in with with, with, the, with, with the crab, with the crab in, the, in the box, you know. Yeah. So you make the whole plate from that box as much as humanly possible. And that's what I like to do, a single ingredient, local ingredient, let the ingredient, ingredients sing. Yeah, so Dingle would be known as a fishing town too, so would you have a lot of fish? It is indeed, it's, it's a fishing port, so um, we're very lucky in that respect that we do have quite a lot of local fish landed here uh, on an almost daily basis. Um, so we try, to, yeah, we try to use what fish we can. Now, we, we also do serve meat from the Kerry Hills and, and, and vegetables from our own garden, vegetarian dish, but um, it would be predominantly fish, yeah, it's what's available to us all the time. And in terms of your ingredients, you said you source them from the Dinga Peninsula. So there is a lot of products available here that you can you can use. There is, menu. there is indeed. Uh, when we went actually looking to to enter the Foodie Town competition, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, we found there was thirty uh, twenty nine local producers. You know, varying different fish, producing fish and meats and pates and various things. Um, so we try to incorporate as much of that as we can, as is the restaurant, uh, the other restaurants in town. And then, um, you know, just the raw ingredients, the primary producers, the, the farming, the fishing is, is superb. Um, there's, we have three, four, three, at least four, four fish producers, fish processors here in town. And people like Ted Brown um, doing incredible pr- crab, prawns and smoked salmon. Um, you know, and, and then you've got your other, uh, you're dealing with the boats on a daily basis and they process the fish and deliver it to the restaurants. Or indeed, like myself, sometimes we deal directly with the boats and we take it straight off the boat. Um, if that can work you know it's, it's, it's a great system 
It's great. Your carbon footprint must be very low, so because you're practicing. It is really, you know, I mean, the road. yeah, it is. You know, when we when we first kind of started to make a move to this, maybe seven or eight years ago, uh, it was just kicked into place when just looking at lettuce and you know it was coming from Israel and and asparagus was coming from from Peru and and not that I have anything against those countries. They're fabulous countries, and I've travelled in many of them, but. Um, we don't need to do that. We can grow onions. We can grow lettuce. We can grow asparagus. I, and now I grow it all in my own garden. So I bought a piece of land. I said, put my money where my mouth is. Put up some tunnels. Got hired in, uh, some help. A, a fantastic gardener with me for the last four years. Unfortunately, she's she's moved on, opened her own place this year. But um, yeah, we started to grow and it changed everything. It changed how we think. Because we really work with the seasons now on based on what's in the garden. It's not an abstract concept anymore. Very go, much go with what's in season. Go with what's in season, go out there and have a look at it. And if it's there, it's in season, bring it in. And then a couple of that with the fish and the meat. And, you know, suddenly you have 90% of your menu there. Now, if, you know, we still buy some things in. We're not, we're not going to get so insular that we're not going to serve wine, you know. But uh, you know, we do buy some things. But we try to minimise the amount of things we import as much as possible. Great. And tell us about the awards night itself. What kind of affair was that? It was great fun, black tie dinner, over 800 people up in the Burlington, or what was the Burlington, the, the Hilton I think it is now, and um, we, of course there was five of us went up there for the um, Foodie Town Award, because we, we put that application and we knew we were nominated in the final ten, so it was all very exciting, we got our black and white on and up we went, and uh, I wasn't really thinking about the Emerging Irish Cuisine Award, I didn't really expect to be, you know, I knew I was in the finishing 12 or 15, but I didn't really expect to pick it up. And next thing that got announced, and uh, it was really exciting going up that. And the, the one after that was Foodie Town, so we were over the moon. Absolutely yeah, over so the moon. Yeah, so it's a great celebration. When Dingle won, that was a fantastic celebration. Yeah. So it was a, a couple of drinks had afterwards. A late night, I'd say. A little bit of a late night in the hotel that night. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. probably nice as well for chefs to meet up with um, each other, you know, from different restaurants it around is. the country. It is. It's a great little networking night too, because there's a lot of chefs there. Um, well, it's great before about two in the morning. It gets a little bit funny after that. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes a bit yeah. pear-shaped then. It all goes a bit pear-shaped then, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> that's, like, good. that's the same it as every good. party anyway. Yeah, yeah. And tell us about the foodie town. What's involved in that? Well, it's the first time the RAA, RAA have put up that uh, that competition this year. And they, um, so there was a number of criteria. It started off with an application process where you sent an application form in um, addressing maybe eight to ten points of why you felt your town should be the winner. So we did that. We put it together. We put together the Dingle Food Story, and we um, sent on an application. And lo and behold, we came back in the top ten against some big competition. You know, big cities. So then, after that, it's fifty percent decided on an online campaign, basically getting as many people to vote as possible online, and then fifty percent judged by a, a, a judge's visit, um, which they came down one day and they went they went through. So I suppose they were checking, were we just writing this or did we make this up or was it actually happening? So we took them to the producers, we took them to the restaurants, we took them to um, various different places and we showed them a sample of what happens on the food festival, etc., etc. And that was quite a rigorous process, you know, there was a, a, an hour of questioning and answering and then a tour and then lunch and then, you know, it was... Yeah, it was quite rigorous. Full on. Yeah. Full on, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, it was interesting to do it. But it was a great committee, uh, it was great support here in Dingle, you know, people really pulled together and go for it, and um, it was just very exciting, but when we won it we kind of couldn't believe it against other competition, we never doubted the product we have and the wonderful place we have, but we felt, oh well, you know, up against some of these cities my god, the, the population, even on the online vote alone, you know, they'll surely swing it, but uh, obviously our judges visit was very strong. And how do you think that award will help promote the town? 
I think it's fantastic for the town because it's going to gel together all the all the effort that individuals are making. So we put together because like, we've been running the food festival now for about seven or eight years and that started to bring a food emphasis into it and then we put a, a food emphasis on each of the festivals that come through we try to get more food happening and then so everybody starts to kind of put food in their mind when they're thinking about Dingle you know um, it's because it's fantastic quality um, you know so I think what it'll do is, is gel together for the future that when people think about Dingle they'll think about food yeah, that's great. So it's, yeah. it's a kind of joint marketing approach from a lot of the businesses. It is, you know, almost, it is yeah. coupled with all the other fantastic, like the fantastic scenery, the fantastic pubs and tradition, the the, the, the language, the music. We were voted the most photogenic uh, place in, <laughs> in the world by National Geographic. You know, I mean, we've a lot of good things going um, and now we've got, you know, the food with that. It's fantastic. Good product. Mm. Very good. And in terms of your own business now, what are your plans for the next few years? Onward and upward, we hope to keep going, keep offering quality, keep improving, um, concentrate completely on the local, um, try to develop new dishes that you know are 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 really new and really different. Um, keep the garden going and improve it. Uh, we're opening a cookery school in um, in September. Uh, hopefully, by the by the food festival weekend, which is the first weekend in in October. We have an event book that weekend, so hopefully it'll be ready. The, build, the, ready. the builders are in at the moment, so that, that should be ready to go, and that'll be an exciting addition to the whole business. Is um, that on the premises here? It's not. It's in town here in Dingle, uh, so looking forward to that. Very good. Yeah, so a new adventure yeah. for you. New adventure would be great, yeah. yeah great. Little, well, little. congratulations on your um, recent award at the Restaurant Association of Ireland. Thank you very much. Best of luck for the future. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Congratulations to Dingle on that wonderful award. Well deserved, I'm sure you will agree. We're going to hit the phones now and find out what you'll get to enjoy if you're turning left when you board that aeroplane. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. On the line now, I'm delighted to welcome two lovely ladies from Aer Lingus. Caroline Hanley is the Director of Retail and Sinead O'Neill is the Retail Manager. Welcome ladies. Thanks, Sharon. Now, I want to ask you about food on airplanes because it has evolved over time. Can you tell us what it would have been like back in the first flights in 1936? We'd, we'd love to be able to tell you that um, if we if we had all the detail on it, but um, unfortunately we don't. Um, what we do know is that it was very much um, a two-cabin service, both on our short haul and our transatlantic operations. And it was all complimentary. Um, and as everyone knows, airlines in those days, it was very much a prestigious travel and prestigious experience. So it was in the economy cabins, it was snacks, teas and coffees. Um, the menus would have changed quite a bit um, in terms of what they could have sourced at that time. And then up the front of the cabin within the business class, again, all very complimentary and high-end Irish produce. Um, I think there is, um, and Sinead has spotted it as well, kind of on our social media sites, there's been a few menus printed that have been from that time. And it still harps back to the smoked salmons and the caviars and um, all of the high-end premium food. And not much different from today of what we serve in our business cabin. So it's nearly gone full circle then to the way it used to be. Um, no, it's, it's very different. We've got um, the way it used to be was in all the cabins that the food was complimentary. 
there's been no change from the business cabin. The business cabin, the food is still all complimentary. But in our economy cabins, um, both on the short haul network and on long haul, um, we do have paid for food. On the long haul, though, in the economy cabin, there still is a free economy meal, but you can buy a few extra items, um, such as confectionery and alcoholic beverages. Um, and also with our pre-order meal service, um, we have the pre-order meals where you can dine up in the cabin as well to give you that rest restaurant feel on board. So that's a very different proposition to what it was when the airline launched in 1936 and the preceding years after that. Well, of course, I think a lot of people are very interested about the first class experience. For people that are lucky enough to have the opportunity to travel first class this summer, what can they expect to be served on board? Like, Is it true that there is a chef on board cooking up the meals fresh? Um, the chef uh, isn't actually on board the flights, but um, our executive chef is in our catering kitchen here, and he's executive chef James Kenevy. And James um, produces all of our menus and then ensures and quality controls um, every morning that the food is all produced um, freshly and served on board for our business class services um, over to to trans like sorry apologies transatlantic. We also have um, caterers in the US for our returning flights as well, who again follow the specification that's laid out by our executive chef, and they ensure that all the food is of highest quality and, and freshly prepared just before the flight takes off. So it's delivered to the aircraft, and then our cabin manager on board, um, who is uh, our senior um, cabin manager, she would then, or he would then, um, work with the cabin crew, and then they would make sure that we have um, it all served out correctly, and it would be somewhat a silver service experience. So it's very high-end for those lucky enough to be near the front of the aircraft? Very high-end for those who can turn left when they get onto the aircraft. <laughs> but for those that aren't lucky enough to turn left, they are very lucky in that you do have a very nice food offering for them, and you've teamed up with Cluda McKenna recently. Um, yeah, we've teamed up with Cloda McKenna and we launched with Cloda McKenna on our short haul network um, in November 2013. On the 12th of November 2013, we launched with Cloda, which has been great and a great success. And what I'm going to do is pass you over to Sinead because Sinead was instrumental in getting all of this up and running and created a great relationship with Cloda and developed the menu with her. Well, Sinead, tell us how that collaboration started with Cloda. Um, the retail team were quite uh, keen, I suppose, to get on board with a chef collaborator. We're quite conscious of the fact that sometimes the perception of airline food can be quite negative. It's not always kind of considered the most positive kind of, I suppose, food experience. And really, even before we signed up with Cloda, the food that we actually had on board was of a very high quality and standard. So what we really wanted to do, to do I suppose, at the time was if we got a chef collaborator, we felt that it would give the, I suppose, the, the menu and, and the food a bit more of a, a kind of a touch as well for our customers and remove that perception that people have towards airline food. So we were kind of keen to, to kind of collaborate with an Irish chef. And Cloda, we just felt, was a very good uh, synergy between ourselves and, and Cloda because when we met her, we talked about what we wanted to make the menu and we really wanted our BIA uh, buy on board kind of food menu to be about Irish food and to kind of showcase the Irish produce to the best of its ability. And that was the kind of route that we wanted to go down. Being, uh, I suppose, from Erlingus and a very heritage Irish brand, people have a, a very fondness towards the brand and they expect the company to be very Irish and act very Irish where possible. And we're keen to give our customers exactly, I suppose, what they expect and to give them a lovely 
onboard experience and a food experience on board, and that's what we were trying to do. So the Irishness was very important, so that's why we thought we'd, the best thing to do was to sign up with a very well-known Irish chef and someone who would have the same ethos as what we were kind of trying to bring that strategic vision through, and Cloda was the perfect kind of choice then for us with that. And in terms of price, you have paid close attention to that. Yeah, um, so actually what we did when, when we did our buy on board food options, uh, the price, uh, we were very keen that the price of of the product that we would charge our customers would not be impacted by the move. So while the quality of everything improved and, and we did change around the menu, the price actually wasn't impacted. And really while I know that there can be a perception that sometimes buying on board is, is more expensive, actually we're, we're usually quite Cheap and cheaper than the airport were very good value on board and it's it's a lot more of a value proposition than, than what I think people perceive it to be. And do people need to pre-order that food or is it always available to buy? No, there is. There's two options for our customers. So there is the buy on board option, which is the kind of be a, uh, the be a produce and then there's also a pre-order menu. So on our pre-order menu for our short-haul fleet, so this is for all the European and UK flights, there's the option to pre-order, which is the signature Aer Lingus dish of the Irish breakfast, and that's a real um, a real staple and a real customer favourite that we have found over the years, and that's for a really good price point of 7.50, and customers for that will get their, their full Irish breakfast, a nice tea or coffee with it, and it'll be delivered to them straight into the seat. And then we also teamed up with Clothe to develop um, a number of other pre-order meals. So with that, we have um, a gluten-free option, which was something that we were very keen to do. And we have in that, we have a power meat salad. And Clothe developed the, the salad, which is really fabulous. And then we also partnered up with the award-winning company, The Foods of Athenrye, who have done the multi-grain kind of crackers and a little chocolate biscuit cake as well to accompany that di- dish. And that's at 7.50. We have a vegetarian option of a leek and cheese quiche, which is lovely, again at 7.50. And then we have a really nice little kids option of a mac and cheese. So it's a nice kind of hot kids meal um, that comes with a little activity pack. And with that, they get a little kind of uh, a fruit pot and along with a fruit shoot, and that's five euro. So again, there's choice um, there for the customers as well. And again, it's all about really, I suppose, giving people the choice to buy on board or pre-order with the value and the Irishness as well coming through. Do you feel it is very important to have a good food offering on board that it's, for some people, this is the start of, of a holiday or for other people they are travelling on business, that it's important for them to have good choices, healthy choices there? Yeah, definitely. I think I think everybody is the same. I suppose when you get on board, you're in a, a very you're in a bit of a different mindset. You're in holiday mode, which is always the nicest mode to be in. So everyone's in a in a, in a happier mood. But what you do have is, I suppose you have you you have such a mixture of passengers all the time. There's such a variance, and even by route, it depends on 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 what what flight you're talking. So what we've tried to do as well is to develop a lot of choice across the range while still keeping it to as close we have we're obviously tight for space on board so we have to kind of keep the, the menu to to a certain limit but we're trying to give the choice so i suppose if you're looking for something really healthy we have a really nice fruit salad on board um, or we have a new kind of turkey sandwich on board again which is which is a very healthy option it's 308 calories so again if you're looking for those kind of options it's a really good one and then as well if you're looking for your comfort food we have the, the, the Irish signature, the, the uh, chicken and stuffing sandwich, which is a very big customer favourite. We have a cheese, a, t- a ham and cheese toasty, which again is really popular. And if you're not looking for something like that, there's always something even in the treats range. We have Lily O'Brien has done a nice 
two little sweet box option for us. We have Tate on board now, which is doing incredibly well. So there's something hopefully for everybody on it. What's your personal favourite, Sinead? Um, probably from the new range, I would go for the turkey. The The turkey sandwich is really lovely. It's uh, turkey, spinach and roasted red peppers. Um, just as a summer option and something a little bit different. It's a really gorgeous uh, sandwich. And do you plan to look at the menu every six months, keep it updated, keep it fresh? Yes, that's that's what we intend to do at the moment. It's to do. Um, we want to make sure that we're always staying in season. We follow what produce we can and buy Irish where we can. So it's to really keep with that seasonality. So we'll still continue to change every six months and give the menu a refresh and kind of give our customers. And I suppose it's still always about enhancing it as, as much as we can. So we take on board all of the customer feedback. Our customers are really great at either emailing us directly or um, via the call centre or even providing uh, feedback through our uh, our crew, which is fantastic. So we take that all on board and then when we're designing a new menu, we work towards improving and uh, enhancing the onboard experience for our customers all the time. And do you think that this is something that keeps you ahead of the competition? I'd, I'd like to think it would. I think it's one of our one of our big things, I think, is... You know, for Aer Lingus, one of the signature parts, I think, of, of flying with Aer Lingus is the experience that you get with us. And a big part of that is the onboard experience. So not only are our, our crew very friendly to you, but also the fact that there's a menu created specifically with our customers in mind. And we have designed it fully with them in mind. We take all the feedback. We listen to what people say. And, uh, and, it's, and it's really geared all towards them. That's Sinead O'Neill, in-flight retail manager with Aer Lingus and her colleague, director of retail, Caroline Hanley. Ladies, thanks for talking to me this evening and I look forward to that day when I'm getting on and turning left. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Great to see Aer Lingus using its platform to showcase some artisan Irish producer. If you want to explore some of Ireland's finest food events, stay tuned for our chat with Vulture Ireland's Helen McDaid, who has all the info on food-related events taking place throughout the country during the month of July. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helen McDade from Vulture Ireland, welcome to Best Possible Taste. And tonight we're looking at all the events that are taking place in July. Hi, Sharon. How are you? I'm great, and you? Great, great. So I have events for you all over the country. I thought I'd share the, share the wealth this month. Um, and I think if we start at the beginning of July, say that first weekend, the 5th and 6th of July, um, the Hay Festival is happening up in Kells. And this is the second year that the Hay Festival, and if anybody's not familiar with it, that's primarily a literary festival, and it's extremely well-known in the U.K., and they, they take it, I think they have it in 15 places around the con- around the world, sorry. But a country can only ever have one location for it. So they have all top authors coming in. But this year they've also added a large food element. So they have a food tent and they'll have Richard Corrigan up there, Sally McKenna will be there, Rory O'Connell will be there. And they're actually doing some children's cookery workshops as well with the author Judy Curtin. Oh, and Judy is a Limerick lady. Oh, is she? Yeah, yeah. she is indeed, yeah. yes. I've met Judy, so that's great. That oh, yeah. um, She's really popular with kids. So, I mean, how nice is that they could go and kind of cook with the person who writes their book? So I thought that was lovely, a lovely event. And that's um, Kells in County Meath as opposed Kells to County, County Antrim. Yes. Um, so that is the 5th and the 6th of July. 
then the following weekend, July is a very seafood-focused, um, which I think is brilliant, but, but uh, probably not for everyone. But the first one we have is the Kilmore Quay Seafood Festival in um, Kilmore Quay in Wexford. And this festival has actually been going since 1985, so it's 29 years, which I think is amazing. Um, and they have all sorts going on. So they have seafood platter competitions where all the local restaurants all, all compete against each other to see who's the most creative uh, seafood platter. They have a Friday fish market where literally the, the fish is being landed on the quay by local fishermen and then being sold. They have a huge Cayley on the Sunday afternoon and they have loads of beach activities. There's sandcastle competitions and egg and spoons and welly throne competition and sea kayak and relays. So I think the mommies and daddies as well as the kids need to get into a bit of training um, to work up an appetite for all that lovely seafood. It's so important these days, I think, with these events that they have a, a focus on children. Oh, yeah. And most of them, actually, in fairness, Sharon, are very good. Do you know what I mean? Most of them do have great kind of um, kids events. And actually, even the, the, on the same weekend is the Valencia Island um, King Scallop Festival. And again, this one, they're literally like, I mean, they'll be hand diving for scallops off the waterfront in Kingstown and bringing them up and cooking them right in front of you. Like, you're not going to get any fresher than that. Absolutely not, yeah. no. And actually, for the more active children, talking about children's activity, they have a children's triathlon, which I think is very adventurous. All together. Indeed, yes. Yeah, so they have um, cricket and they have sea sports. And then they also have, a, it's a Mr. King Scallop cook-off. So it's only, it's only the men are involved. Um, and there's a big cook-off and there's great competition for it locally. And Martin Shanahan's gone down to judge that. So I wouldn't fancy being in his shoes trying to pick the winner uh, in that one. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so they, they on the 14th, the Monday, just after last weekend, there's actually a lovely event up around the Cliffs Moher. And it's actually a guided tour and a picnic. So they'll take you on a tour. The cliff ranger will take you out um, and talk to you all about the tour and the different information about the cliffs. And then they'll also provide a picnic that you can actually have the picnic then on the side of the cliffs, which I thought was lovely. And if, if God forbid, it rains, it is set up that they can go inside the, um, the cafe as well. So you, you, you'll definitely have an option there. Sounds good. Now, the following weekend, this would be July the 18th to the 20th, we have the Ackle Island Food Festival. And this absolutely celebrates all things seafood. So there's cookery demos, there's seaweed safaris, there's fish markets, there's seaweed barbecue, or sorry, seafood barbecues and oyster tastings. And then they have loads of activities and things to keep all the kids engaged as well. So that if you're up, up in the Mayo direction, that would be a good way to spend the day. And then if you happen to be around in County Clare or the Burren on the Monday the 21st, you can go and visit um, Sintola's Goats Farm, where they actually make the, uh, the goat's cheese. So you can actually see the goats and see the cheese-making demonstration. You can bring, you bring your own picnic, and there'll be loads of space there, and you can have your picnic on the ground. So, I mean, you can really make a lovely afternoon out of it, and there's plenty of space for the, the kids to, to run around and, and play with the other friendly kids of the goat variety as opposed to the human variety. Is that like a, an open day that they're doing? Well, it's kind of in the afternoon. They're, they're doing like a demonstration and then they have talks and that as well. But then like you can stay afterwards and have your picnic and kind of potter around the farm. So it, it's probably a bit of both. Um, but it's lovely and it's in such a lovely spot. Um, so that would, be, that would be great fun. And it's always nice for the kids to see all the goats and the little kids and um, and see all the, the farm side of things. 
Now, the following weekend, we have um, a couple of things. The one, actually, it's from the 25th to the 28th of July, and that's the Enniscrone Black Pig Fest. And they don't have all of the details up on the, up on the site yet. I know they're kicking it off with a parade, and, and they're going to have other events. But it's actually worth checking out their website just to see the picture on the front. I, I dare you to look at it and not laugh. Okay. Even if you just Google Enniscrone Black Pig Festival. And, and you'll get it up. So keep your eye on that one. That's actually a new festival this year. So um, so that I hope that I, they'll have all of their details now up, I would say, in the next week or two. Okay. So have a look at that. Then also that week in Slane, they have a slap-up weekend. And then they actually have a, about three or four different nights, and they have a different event every night. So on the 23rd, they have a Texas barbecue night. On the 24th, they have a big farmer's market and pizza festival. The 25th, they're doing a seafood speciality night. The 26th, they have a pig on a spit and a monster barbecue um, in the Boyles Slane. And then on the Sundays, they have a slap-up Sunday lunch. So you have plenty of choice up there in Slane if you happen to be passing by there that week. And then last, but certainly not least, uh, the last two days in July, we have the 30th and the 31st. And up in Mullockmore in Sligo, Prani Rattigan. She works a lot with seaweed, and she has a book all about seaweed. But she's doing a day and a half for people who are interested in finding out more. So on the first day, uh, you would have... Um, she'll do a talk around the, the seaweed. You can go foraging. Then you go out on a boat trip. There's dinner that night that'll obviously kind of have seaweed incorporated in that as well. And then the next morning um, is a half day and you have a hands-on workshop and a demo with Pranny. So you'll be working with her all morning. And then there's like kind of a walk and a bit of local history in that as well. So lots, lots to keep you entertained. And isn't it amazing the way the seaweed has really come into its own now yeah. and it's a superfood and yeah, you can bake with it, cook with it, yeah. eat it raw, whatever. It, it's funny, actually, I did. A, I had set a competition uh, question recently and it was like kind of what Irish food can you um, bathe with, bake with, eat, fertilize with? And I can't remember the others. And that was the answer. The answer was seaweed. Um, Because you can use it for so many things. And it's nice to see it coming back. I mean, I remember eating it whenever we were kids. But it was never as trendy. No. Nice sea vegetables. (laughs) Exactly. And it was very seasonal as well. There was only a certain time of the year when you could get it. Yeah. But it's nice because I think you see things like the seaweed and you're seeing more and more um, producers doing things like Atlantic sea salt and all of those kind of very natural things. You're seeing a lot more butters coming back, like proper handmade traditional butters. So it's nice. They say everything is a cycle, but it's really nice to see all of those type of things um, and people kind of taking time and appreciating them again. Well, Helen, thanks for sharing the details of all those events which are on discoverireland.ie forward slash food. Which one is your pick of the month? <gasps> oh, that's hard. Um... Do you know, I'd actually probably do Ackle Island just because it's a wee bit different um, and like, it's kind of out there and it really, like, they really encompass everything kind of seaweed on it. Seaweed, or seafood, I can't use my words. Um, but that's really hard to pick one. But yeah, I'd say that's probably the one I'll go to because I hadn't been to that one. And I'm going to go with the St. Chola visit to the, the farm there. Oh, and yeah, that's lovely. And yeah. now I must go and look up that Inishgrown Black Pig Festival oh, that yeah, you were talking I about. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't look at it and not smile. <laughs> all right, Helen, thanks so much. And we will talk to you again whenever you will be back to tell us all about the events for August. 
Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. That's all we have time for this evening on The Best Possible Taste. If you missed any of tonight's programme or a previous one, you'll find it all up on soundcloud.com. Just have a look for Food and Drink Show and you'll find us there. Thanks for joining me tonight. To producer Geraldine O'Sullivan and, of course, all of tonight's guests. Have a great week and until next Tuesday when we return at 8 o'clock for lots more news, reviews and things to do. Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!